That is um, Catherine the Great. Uh, Catherine the Great, uh, if we don't have any Russia specialists or Enlightenment specialists here, perhaps Catherine's reputation, the wrong reputation precedes Catherine, as she's always associated with lurid sexual escapades, which are all false. Those are all made up. Um, but you see how there, uh, in 1762, in the livery of the regiment that put her on the throne, she's a usurper. She's actually a German princess. Uh, marries uh, a hopeless Russian prince named Peter III. Uh, she's clearly much more able, very clever, very smart, bides her time, and she's on her horse, brilliant. And this is the image painted by a Danish uh, royal portraitist that captures her at the beginning of a reign that lasted 34 years. So she died in 1796 while the French Revolution was exploding and the terror had happened. Um, now, Catherine is a prolific letter writer and she's in touch with all of the crowned heads of Europe but unusually for a reigning monarch of the 18th century she's also in touch with all the great intellectuals. Uh, Voltaire is one of her steadfast correspondents um, and she left behind a gigantic correspondence of many thousands of letters, at least 5,000 letters uh, perhaps more like six, we're not absolutely sure. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about the content of this project and then I'm going to talk about the technological side of the project. The project is, I think, a fairly good example of what people in my discipline refer to as digital humanities. So I think most science, IT people here are, are of course used to big data mining projects. Social science scientists are used to big data mining projects. But we also, in the humanities, um, are appropriating some of these excellent technologies in order to um, ask new questions and find out answers. Uh, the aim of this project is really to gather a lot of, um, to gather, to put together a huge corpus of material and then to create a search engine, to make it available and to create a search engine that uh, allows us to explore Catherine's reign. And Catherine's reign is a great example of connectivity because she's in touch with everyone, mainly in French, but because she's German, she's also in touch with Frederick the Great of Prussia, who's one of the great powers, always combating the English for maritime influence in the Baltic. Um, she's also, she also writes in Russian. She writes to her lovers, some of her lovers in Russian, but she also writes to her generals in Russian. And the sheer variety of the correspondence is absolutely amazing because she does everything from you know, so we're not in an age of emails, we're in an age of short notes written to some, some of her six or seven um, paramours who are at court over the course of 30 years, some of whom are very important statesmen, um, to letters that really um, direct foreign policy, wars, to letters that cope with internal and domestic um, disorder. And I think what you can see here in this image of Catherine, this is one of about 500 portraits of Catherine that were painted in her reign. She's a great PR person. She's got a great sense of image. And image matters to her because I think the great project of her reign is to persuade Europe, meaning educated elites, that Russia is part of the European world, that Russia has opened up 
you know, the more you read the newspapers, of course, the more one might think about this, but that Russia is open to modern forms of commerce, intellectual and scholarly exchange, um, and that Russia is a highly civilized place. And believe it or not, a lot of them actually believed it. A lot of intellectuals, a lot of travelers. Um, and so she presides over a great cultural flowering, theater, publishing, writing, everything happens on her watch. Um, and so the letters, uh, as I said, there are thousands of them. Now, the problem with the correspondence is that the letters have never been collected, believe it or not. So it's a very surprising fact, and it's, a you know, I think uh, a piece of cultural history that's interesting in itself. How can it be that a great ruler's correspondence, thousands and thousands of letters, have not been published? Piecemeal correspondences do exist, but for the most part, the bulk of the letters, probably 80% of them, were published um, when they were published in obscure journals that are now very obscure, hard to access, journals that haven't been digitized, or if they have been digitized, they're impossible to use. Um, and the reasons for that didn't concern us here. But the project started when um, a very clever doctoral student of mine who's not here today, she's around the corner doing something else, uh, Kelsey Rubin Ertigan, who, uh, uh, Rubin Detlev, who's an Ertigan scholar. Um, Kelsey's writing, finishing a very fine thesis on Catherine the Great, and we sort of sat down together and looked at various questions of the reign. And she's particularly interested in epistolarity, enlightenment exchanges, how ideas cross boundaries in letters. And then the question arose, you know, where are all of these letters and why have they not been used? And light bulbs went off, it's a bit of old-fashioned technology in the called the brain, and um, we thought, actually, wouldn't it be a good idea to um, think about a digital project? This is not unprecedented. So in Oxford, in Oxford alone, in humanities, there are two great projects which I think have been path-breaking. One is called Electronic Enlightenment, which um, has, brings together a huge corpus or corpora of Enlightenment correspondences, the American founding fathers, all the great French intellectuals. So people like Voltaire, would anyone wish to hazard a guess how many letters Voltaire wrote? Voltaire, whose works take up 90 volumes, <laughs> but he wrote 15,000 letters, only 80 of which went to Catherine the Great. Um, so it's quite remarkable. So um, an, a, a team about 15 years ago, a team of um, scholars and IT people got together and started digitizing when technology was much more primitive, um, at least this technology, Voltaire's correspondence, and they landed a grant of about $2 million from the Mellon Foundation to launch this project. The project now exists commercially as marketed by Oxford University Press and every great university library sells, and it's an indispensable tool for cross-searching letters. And letters do all sorts of things. How many, how many minutes? Uh, um, <laughs> not, uh, we have eight minutes. Eight minutes, okay. You need to give me back 10 seconds that I just lost <laughs> and ask you the question. Okay, so um, <laughs> Catherine, um, so th these letters matter because I think for reasons that um, uh, I've made clear, um, they touch on matters of state and so on and so forth. The other great project, which is now ongoing, is a project called Cultures of Knowledge, which a historian named Howard Hodson has um, 
pioneered. He's at St Anne's College, and that's focused a little bit early in the 17th century, and actually serves as an umbrella for all sorts of subsidiary databases that can speak to one another. I think that's right. Okay, six minutes. So that's one of the great changes. Um, six minutes before questions, or no. the whole thing? Okay. Eight for the whole thing. Okay, right. Okay. So I have five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, and um, power, 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 power of Culture is a great database that brings together um, compa compatible platforms so they can talk to one another. Another great project, which is of great interest and I'm hoping will buy up our project, uh, is at the University of Chicago, which um, Robert Morrissey there is a professor of French, and a man named Glenn Rowe, who's now in Australia but was here for three years as a Mellon postdoc. Again, he's a French scholar but works on digital humanities. Um, have created this database which has digitized the entire encyclopedie. Now, I think digitizing itself isn't particularly interesting. It's the search engine that's interesting. So we um, landed a grant ah, of, where is the database? Uh, yep. There it is. So there's Catherine uh, at a ripe old age of about 55. Um, not the most flattering necessarily. We landed a grant of about 20,000 pounds from the British Academy to do a pilot and the pilot Culls 100 letters from two years, 1774, when a massive rebellion broke out in the south and threatened to topple Catherine's reign, and 1791, when she became very nervous about what, events in France and tried to orchestrate a counter-revolution uh, from St. Petersburg. And so it was really designing the database. And I was going to show you, had um, I brought with me my own computer, uh, I would have shown you some kind of the raw data and the XML markings. The person who's pioneered the type of software we're using for this is in Oxford. He's a man named James Cummings. He's an expert on medieval Latin grammar. Um, so he's got a good mind for systems, but he's an absolute pioneer in humanities and travels all over the world, as far as London, where I went to a workshop. Um, but James is the great guru on how to do these things. And he trained Kelsey, and Kelsey really has devoted quite a lot of time. So just to kind of, before we move on to questions, um, show you what whoops, uh, one can, can do so you get some sense. So let's take the city of Constant. Sorry? Oh, oh, I see. Okay, uh, I thought you meant ten left. <laughs> no, no, I understand. Okay, so um, uh, working. So let's scroll down. All right. So there are five letters in which um, in which um, the word Constantinople appears. If we look at letter, so letter seven in the corpus, there, and you can see how the metadata are arranged. The metadata are arranged. People, places. Uh, and so on and so forth. Now, if you want to see the actual letter itself, um, I'm actually, um, it's a little tricky because um, I'll just go back. Let me show you another example. So let's get rid of this. Um, this is, the pilot hasn't launched yet. So we're still in the building phase and it'll probably be ready in a month or so. So if we were to look at a name of a place, um, so let's take Constantinople. Constantinople. Um, and let's add a filter component. So let's take, um, sorry, uh, that's okay. Um, uh, let's take per people. And let's add 
Repnin, because I know there are some letters in which... So you see, we now have... It identifies the person. And let's see what we have for this. So there's one item, one letter, in which this person appears. And you can see over here there are different categories on the right um, that kind of give an inventory of all the information which are more easily cross-searchable. Let's just go to the letter itself. Um, so here's kind of taking us into the kind of data mining stuff. Here's the letter. Some of the letters will have translations. In fact, we're hoping if we land the grant we need to have that we'll be able to hire a postdoc to translate all five or 6,000 letters. But you can see here how um, the letter is set out. You can see the links. Eventually, if the database can grow, there will be hyperlinks to maps. Interactive maps is a timeline already built in. And just to give you... Uh, right, so I'm going to stop, but I'm just going to show you one thing, which is we have these tables. So inside the actual texts, you can cross-search you can actually do a kind of encyclopedic thing by using categories to search all of this stuff. So I'll stop there. Uh, is there time for Q&A? Yes. So thanks a lot.